briefly share with you um, um, what all has been going on at work. But this week it was particularly relevant. And you'll see why as we unfold some of the lesson. So I got to give you the first few days of my week. Sunday, uh, we had class after class, uh, lunch. Uh, and then I hustled to the airport. I had to be in Chicago for a meeting uh, Sunday evening, uh, meeting started around six o'clock or so in Chicago with a, a, a group of lawyers that were getting me ready for a deposition that I had to take Monday morning. So we worked, uh, uh, had Chipotle brought in, which made it a lot easier to work. Uh, we worked, uh, until about midnight or so, a little after midnight. And then I, uh, got to my hotel room and, and crashed to get up by six the next morning to make sure that they'd put all the documents in the right order and, that I was going to be ready to go with the deposition that started at 9. I took the deposition of this fellow. And we worked right through lunch and finished the deposition at about 2 or so in the afternoon. And we hustled over to the airport because I had to be at a reception in Scottsdale, Arizona about 4 hours later. And it's about a 3-hour flight. And so got to Scottsdale, Arizona Monday night. Uh, drove 25 minutes from the airport to the reception, was at the reception for about an hour and a half, then had to leave the reception and drive back to the airport because I had to be in Santa Ana, California that night to finish getting ready for a hearing that the judge had called for 8 o'clock in the morning the next morning. So flew to John Wayne Airport in Orange County, California, and went, to, oh, wait, I even have pictures of some of this stuff. Okay, hold on, hold on, there we go. Okay, so now, that got me to Scottsdale. I left from there, flew to Santa Ana, California, Orange County. Yeah, really? <laughs> okay, watch the difference. The, just informal poll. Orange County, California. <laughs> Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going to leave A&M out of this. Um, yeah. So we worked through uh, late, late, late into the night, got up early, had to meet at the courthouse at 7.15 to get in line, make through the metal detectors, make sure everybody was in order, to, to go into what are called Daubert hearings. Some like to pretend they're French and call them Dauber hearings, but I'm from Lubbock. That's Daubert. And so we had Daubert hearings in front of this judge. Now, what a Daubert hearing is, it comes from a, a, a case name. Daubert was the name of a, one of the parties in a lawsuit. In a Daubert hearing, what you've got is both sides are, that have experts that are going to testify have to make a presentation to the judge that those experts meet certain academic rigor, that they're valid. Judges are gatekeepers of evidence, and, and judges are not supposed to allow into evidence junk science. And you can always find somebody who's going to claim to be an expert who'd say just about anything. But judges don't let that happen because... Each side against the other side will file Daubert motions. The judge will have a Daubert hearing 
And before a jury's ever impaneled, the judge will sit there and listen and decide based upon a number of different factors whether or not there's legitimacy to the testimony. Is there scientific or academic legitimacy? Is it something that's measurable, something that's testable, something that's been peer-reviewed and published in literature, something that makes biologic sense or or scientific sense? These types of factors. So we started that hearing. I got to the courthouse at 7.15. I was running at this point on maybe eight hours sleep over the last three days or so. And, and, and we got there and, and the judge starts the hearing. The hearing's supposed to end by noon, but the hearing keeps going. And we don't finish until about two o'clock. And as soon as we finished, instead of heading straight to the airport, we decided we needed to canvass the team to see what we needed to do differently. So we got together, we canvassed the team. Then I headed to the airport and went back to Scottsdale, Arizona. Because I was supposed to give a speech of sorts at the dinner that night. So we hustled to back to Scottsdale, Arizona, drive the 25 minutes back to the meeting place, get back to the meeting place. Still my brain is sitting around this, is it real testimony or junk science? And we get back and I've got my presentation just about ready to go. Lessons I've learned from my heroes and mentors. And I got to tell you, it's a dinner. <clears throat> I'm at a table, Bob's there, Bob's at another table, and I'm wiped out. I'm extremely tired, and I've got to make two presentations the next day, about two hours worth of material that I've got to write and put together the PowerPoints for, and that's weighing on me, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to wake up early and do it. I got, I mean, I'm wiped out, but I'm sitting at this dinner, I've got, I'm at a table of eight. I'm trying to be uh, uh, on as much as you can be. And in my brain, all I'm thinking about is, um, Becky's not here yet, is she? Oh, in my brain, hi, Becky. All I'm thinking about is, I'm so glad my wife's not here because she would want me to stay as long as I politely should. And I can bail early without Becky here. She's got hospitality deep in her bones. I've got, I need to go to sleep really bad in mine. So I stay through the dinner and make it through and it's, it's, it's late and, and I'm thinking now I can bail. And so I politely say, hey, this has been great. I've got to go back. I got to get a little bit of sleep and I got to get my presentations ready for tomorrow. But I'll see you guys tomorrow. It was great eating dinner with you. Uh, uh, get some sleep at some point. And I get up from the table and I start walking out. And as I start walking out, there's this lawyer from the Northwest, from Seattle, Nick. And Nick, whom I did not know until the reception the night before, Nick says to me, hey, Mark. I said, yes, Nick. He says, uh, he says, uh, I, I, I got on the internet today and I read about you, read your websites. And I'm figuring, you know, it's a lawyer's convention seminar, whatever, that he's gotten on LanierLawFirm.com and, and read whatever's on there, and which I have not done, I might add, but I, 
figure it's probably okay, you know. And so I said, hey, that's great, Nick. Uh, uh, I hope you found some good. He says, no, no, I'm not talking your law website. I got on your Bible website. And I said, interesting, interesting. Then he says this. He says, uh, I'm an agnostic. Give me the Daubert hearing on God. I'm an agnostic. Give me the Daubert. He knew I'd been at a Daubert hearing all day. Trying to decide, can you be academically valid in your testimony and what you have to offer? So he wants to know, give me the Daubert hearing on God. You know, here's a picture. That's where I was. When he said it, my battery was drained. And when he said that, it was the most bizarre thing in the world. I grabbed chair and I said, all right, let's do this thing. And my battery level just immediately on its own. And about five or six or seven other people just said, hey, wait, we want to hear this. We want to hear this. One guy says, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an atheist. Another guy says, uh, 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 yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a Jew. Re- I'm a reformed Jew. Another one says, uh, 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 I'm, uh, uh, well, actually, she didn't really say what she was, but it became pretty apparent she was kind of new agey. Another one may, may have been a Christian. I couldn't tell. And so they, they, they all just started. And, and, and I said, I said, I was just blunt. I said, I'm really excited about this. I said, I rarely meet smart people who don't believe in God. I wasn't being facetious. I said, because if you think it through, I don't see how living the way you live. You could not believe in God. And the atheist said, well, I'm a golden rule atheist. I said, you're a golden rule atheist? Yes, I believe in treating others the way I'd like to be treated. I said, why? If there's no God, why? And he said, well, because I think that's right. I said, well, that's not what the world says without God. And that's not, I said, I assume if you don't believe in God, you're an evolutionist. He said, right. I said, so how did we get here? He said, well, uh, we, and he starts explaining this survival of the fittest mentality. I said, did we get here by the golden rule? Why does the golden rule have any application to someone who doesn't believe that there's something beyond the natural order of Dog eat dog. It was a fascinating time, but I don't have time to tell you about it anymore. Because, because that's just the intro to class. Whoops, we got to get through this slide. Sorry. Get up there. So, what? Here's where we are today. Sorry, my slides are a bit messy. I kind of did this without much sleep. Um, So we've been dealing with Paul's missionary journey. We're on his third missionary journey as we travel through the New Testament in a survey. 
And in the process, we've met a number of these towns a number of different ways. But they become relevant to us today as we get to Paul's missionary journey. So we're going to go to Acts 20 to plug in. If you recall where we are, Paul had been in Ephesus. And he spent almost three years in Ephesus. But Luke says in Ephesus, it's apparent from Luke, and it's certainly apparent from Paul's writings, Ephesus was the, the, the hub of a province area called Asia. It's kind of like, I, I think I even use this expression, kind of like Lubbock is the hub of the plains. It was the hub of Asia. Okay? And so... Paul is not simply in Ephesus, but he's in all of that Asian area, working and in, in not just establishing the churches, but nurturing them. But at some point in time, Paul and the message that he had so offended the economics of Ephesus that several of Paul's friends were called into the, into the amphitheater. And uh, Paul himself arguably had been arrested. It's nuanced on how you read that. But it caused Paul to leave. So after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he'd gone through these regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. Now, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians that he was coming to see them. And this is likely when he made that visit. So he spends three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. Syria being down north of Israel. Instead, Paul decides to return through Macedonia. Now, we're not being fair if we don't pause for a moment and just recognize what Luke almost says in passing, a plot was made against him by the Jews. They planned on killing him. Paul lived a life that was not easy street. He lived a life that was of such danger that Luke is able to just put in a passing reference to almost like this is another time they tried to knock him off. And it's, it's, it's an amazing life that he was living out of conviction for the Lord. He was the ever-ready battery bunny that just kept on going. Now, next. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting. I love the way Luke writes, because Luke is a lawyer's writer. Luke constantly uses names and identifiers so that his references and his sources can be checked. We saw it in his gospel. We saw it as a reason that Luke picks out different witnesses to things. Luke's witnesses that Luke pulls out of the resurrection 
are different than what we read in the ones chosen by Matthew for his account in some regards. Not because one's right and the other's wrong, because Luke is giving the witnesses that can be checked by his audience that he's writing to. These are first-hand eyewitness accounts that Luke has registered from what Luke's doing. It's interesting then to take the fact that this is a real history rooted in real people and rooted in real geography. These are not mere Bible tales. This is an accounting of what happened historically. And so when we read verses like this, Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus of Berea, some might say, well, why is that in the Bible? What difference does it make to me whether he's the son of Pyrrhus or the son of Beerus? Well, the difference is he's the son of Pyrrhus. That's a fact. And this is showing us a history that's rooted in reality. And the reality goes further. If we go back to my map for a moment. Here it back is. Corinth is where Paul was. And Paul, we know from his Corinthian correspondence, is bringing a contribution from the churches in Corinth. Beyond that, I keep wanting to do that, I'm sorry, there's Berea. That's Sopater, son of Phyrus, from Perea. Berea, right? And then he had what? Um, two of them, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. Ah, I'm so sorry, I've got that. Keep, it's going to keep doing it too. From Thessalonica. And then he's got the two fellas. Ah, quit doing that. From Ephesus, Tychicus and Trophimus. Then he's got Gaius of Derby, along with Timothy. And these are the churches where we've been reading about Paul. The Galatian churches, Derby and, and the surrounding areas. He went there on multiple missionary trips. He's gone to Ephesus, Asia, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth. He's collected money from all of these churches. What's missing? Who does Luke fail to tell you was contributing and joining? Which city? Say it loud, say it proud. Philippi. Doesn't that seem odd, especially when we read Philippians and Paul brags on the Philippians about how they gave to his ministry? Some cynics, in fact, some skeptics will read Acts and say, this is clearly written by someone who's not plugged into Paul's real ministry or they would have included this or there's something missing here. Posh. The answer's in the text. Look at, back at the text. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Now you'll recall in Acts chapter 16, Luke had joined Paul's missionary group in Troas and gone to Philippi. And so Luke had changed his narrative from he, he, they, they to we, we, we. And then from Philippi, Luke transitions back as Paul and Timothy leave. And Luke starts saying, Paul and Timothy, they, 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 they. Because Luke did not go with them. Luke stayed back at Philippi. Now we've reached a point where Luke rejoins Paul. Luke from Philippi. 
where he had been ministering for some period of time at least. Because they went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi. So now Luke is rejoining Paul. And it's so interesting to see how his writing changes. Before Luke rejoins, Luke has phrases like when he had gone through these regions. Very general phrases. After Luke joins, it becomes very specific. We came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we'd gathered together. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, uh, uh, after they finish this story, we're going to get into it a little bit more. Going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. He'd arranged himself to go by land. When he met us at Assos, we took him on board. We went to Mytilene. Sailing from there the following day, opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. The next day we went to Miletus. You see how all of a sudden the details are very precise from his journal. When it's just Paul, it's like, hey, that man, they were over in Macedonia. But when Luke plugs in, it's very detailed. I don't want us to go through this without understanding that the history we're reading is really good, accountable history clearly written by someone experiencing it. Now, here's the story that prompted my introduction to class. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I hope you know it. I hope you enjoy it, regardless of the level of fluency you have for it. It's a brilliant story. Keep in mind, Luke is a doctor who's writing this story. You only get the ironic buzz of the story if you understand that Luke's a doctor. On the first day of the week when we'd gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. His battery was charged. It was going. And he just keeps talking. Now, there are many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. We have a tendency in the 21st century to think the upper rooms must have been the really nice stuff. This was the rich house. Upper rooms and upper stories only became the nice place after the invention of the elevator. Before that, the rich people... It wasn't so much about going to the top and lugging all your groceries upstairs. And it's dark. These lamps burn olive oil. Sometime if you ever get a hankering, we'll talk my sister the potter into making a whole bunch of those little Herodian lamps. And you can fill them up with olive oil. And you can put a wick in them and you can burn it. It doesn't emit a ton of light. But boy, does it sort of smell like burning olive oil. So you've got this room that's going to have some smoke. It's going to have this pungent odor. It's going to have this soft lighting. And it's going to have Paul talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. 
and talking. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked, still longer. Luke and Paul are buddies. I suspect Luke was enjoying this writing. And being overcome by sleep. Two phrases there in the Greek. He fell asleep, but being overcome by sleep means he's really snoring it away. He is in deep sleep. It's not just like, you know, like occasionally y'all do in here. It's like, boom, he's out. He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, we need to pause for a moment. Luke does us the politeness of telling us this young man's name. This poor boy's name is Eutychus. That's Greek. I'd like to translate it into English. Lucky. Would not have escaped Luke's readers. They read Greek. Oh, lucky. Fell out the window from the third floor. Dead. As Paul went on and on and on. The doctor's there. Dr. Luke knows dead when he sees it. And Dr. Luke knows he's of no use to dead. Paul went down, he bent over him, taking him in his arms. He says, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And when Paul uh, uh, had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Paul goes down, God uses Paul, restores life to Eutychus, old Lucky gets his name. And don't you know, for the rest of his days, old Lucky told everybody about this. You want Lucky? Let me tell you how lucky I am. But it wasn't luck, it was the grace of God. By the way, Paul, he goes back up, gets some more food. And he starts talking again. <laughs> he conversed. Homalasis in the Greek. Homalasis, we get the word homily from it. When Jerome translated this into Latin, he translated that word conversed, homalasis, into sermo. You know what we get from sermo? Sermon. Paul just went back and kept preaching. So then uh, we left. And we've got the travel arrangements at that point in time. I love that story. I absolutely love the story. From there, Paul goes to Ephesus. Actually, he goes near Ephesus. Some scholars believe that Paul was still a wanted man in Ephesus. <laughs> Not that that would stop Paul, but he had his face set to Jerusalem. So Paul decides to sail past Ephesus that he might not have to spend time in Asia. He was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. If Paul spent time there as a wanted man, uh, he might have spent a few years there. So from Miletus, Paul sends to Ephesus. He calls the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he says the following. 
And Paul recounts to them the testimony that Paul had that they had experienced. How Paul had come to them. And, and it's so interesting to read what Paul says here. Let's see if I can do this right. To read what Paul says here in light of Paul's epistles. Because Luke is really good at times at taking Paul's, he spoke and 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 reducing it down to a couple of minutes for us. But sometimes Luke does that at the expense of Paul's vocabulary. And Luke will use his own vocabulary. For example, the word repent. Paul doesn't use the word repent very much as a Greek word. The concept obviously permeates everything Paul does. But repent is a really big word for Luke. And so Luke will use some of his vocabulary. But some of it he echoes still from Paul. And so when we read Paul saying, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord. You know, that echoes what Paul said to the Corinthians about his serving the Lord. It echoes Romans 1.1, where he calls himself an, a, a servant of Christ Jesus. Um, with all humility. Again, 2 Corinthians 10.1, where Paul says, you know, I, I, I strive to be humble before you. These are Pauline concepts and words, even as Luke mixes in some of the others. But Luke goes on, and Paul gives this accounting of his time. Let's get it on the screen right there. Gives this accounting of, time, of what he has done with them. And then he says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies me in every city. Imprisonment and afflictions await me. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. I did my very best. I gave you everything I had. Now you pay careful attention to yourselves. You pay careful attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit's made you the elders. You care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Because I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is the church that John, 30 years later, would write to and say, you've forsaken your first love in Revelation. Therefore, be alert, remembering for three years I did not cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. Paul was a crier. Read about it in Corinthians. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. For all of Paul's work, Paul recognized any good that came from it had actually come from God. I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. 
you know these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. I paid my own way. In all things I've shown you by working hard in this way, we help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he'd spoken that they would never see him again. And they went with him to the ship. Now from there, Paul goes down to Jerusalem. And there's kind of a a chiasm in the Bible. Uh, There's so many chiasms. But this is so cool. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem and enters from the east. Paul, Luke writes, set his face to Jerusalem, but he'll enter from the west. And so I had told you when we looked at Luke Acts together in one fell swoop and noted the chiasms, I'm just reminding you of this again. Jesus in Luke sets his face to Jerusalem. Paul sets his. And just as Jesus ultimately it leads to his arrest, Paul will be arrested. It's, it's uh, just worth noting. On the way, we need to note one more thing. On the way... And, and, oh, Luke, in typical fashion, Luke's along, by the way, Luke's along on this journey. This is real stuff. And when we read the, the, the gospel of Luke and when we read the history of Acts, when we just read in passing stories like Acts 8, where Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that? In Acts 8, Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch's reading Isaiah. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch says, how am I supposed to understand this? And so it gets explained to them. The eunuch understands what the Lord Jesus has done. He's baptized. Commands the chariot to stop. They went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, he baptized them. When they came out, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing, but Philip found himself at Azotus. He passed through, he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Caesarea, Dale Hearn, sorry. Till he came to Caesarea. It's the Lubbock pronunciation. Now, this is the same Luke writing this, that when he started out his writing, told Theophilus, he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account. Luke says, I got this stuff from eyewitnesses. So you sit there and you say, well, where did you get that story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that just seems to be stuck into Acts chapter 8 between Paul and the persecution of the church and Paul getting converted? Where'd you get that story from? Acts chapter 21. Luke has rejoined Paul. They set sail, came to Kos. By the way, Kos lettuce, Romaine lettuce comes from that island. 
The next day to Rhodes, there to Patara, having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard set sail, came inside of Cyprus, leaving it. On the left, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre so the ship could unload its cargo. See how specific he is when he's on the journey? Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there seven days through the Spirit. They were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul had set his sights on it, so he's going anyway. When we finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. We greeted the brothers. We stayed with them. The next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Where'd he get the story? From the eyewitnesses, just like he said. Who comes in? While we're staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us, he takes Paul's belt, binds his own feet and hands and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how at Jerusalem, the Jews will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Agabus comes in. Agabus? Does that name ring a bell? Oh, yes. Agabus. Acts 11, 27 and 28. Acts 11, 27. In those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there'd be a great famine. Took place during the reign of Claudius, sometime before 54 AD when he died. Where'd he get that? Agabus. And this is hands-on stuff. By the way, Paul's response when they said, don't go, you're going to get arrested, you're going to be bound, and you're going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people, even Luke, urged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Echoing what Peter said to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be bound. I'm going to be tried. I'll be crucified. Oh, no, no, don't let that happen to you. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. You don't think like God. You think like man. Well, here's man thinking it. Don't go. And Paul says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. The word for breaking there, translated breaking my heart, that's the word for how they did laundry, where they take the stuff, you know, and go to the rocks and bam, bam, on the rocks. I use dry cleaners instead. <laughs> Works just as good, but wouldn't have worked for Paul to say, why are you dry cleaning my heart? So instead, why are you breaking my heart? Why are you smashing my heart against the rocks? I'm not, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he wouldn't be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. I'm willing to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This wasn't a game for Paul. Religion was not a neat way to earn a living. Religion was not a rotary club function. Religion was not a social network. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the common bond, the koinonia of the community 
was a social network, but not in the sense of a rotary club, in the sense of a tightly knit family, united by the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed. Paul was not doing this because he was bored. He was not doing this because he was a, a, a masochist who just enjoyed the pain. He wasn't doing it because he was mentally ill. He was doing it because he had encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and had a relationship with him that had radically transformed his life in such ways that he was living truthfully the kingdom of God as its servant. And that's where I want to be. So with that, let's go to our points for home. Point for home one. A young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And I just, you know, there are biblical characters I want to meet. One of them is Eutychus. Oh, Lucky. I guarantee you, old Lucky, for the rest of his days, talked about this. Think about it. Lucky's reputation was God being glorified because he fell asleep at church. I mean, in our jargon, that's what happened. And it was a guest preacher who's probably the most famous Christian to ever wear the name other than the Lord Jesus himself, Messiah. And Eutychus is written up for history in the holy word of Scripture writ for falling asleep and falling out the window. And old Lucky was graced and touched by God and Paul. It gives me some hope that God may be glorified even in my weaknesses. The patron saint of all who fall asleep at church. Point for home too. He knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. That tells you this wasn't simply a rotary club. I love the fact that Paul not only church planted, but he church nourished. He ministered. He told the Corinthians that it was God who gives the growth. Apollos may even water, but Paul never ignored the work of God. He was continually involved. He he didn't get drowsy. He's an inspiration to us to minister. And, and, And in that grows a fellowship that that is divine. And I want to be committed to that. I want you to be committed to that. I want you to find a fellowship beyond the size of this class that ties you intimately to other brothers and sisters. Last, the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul set his face to the wind and said, I'm willing to die for the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem. That's what he's got for me. Because Paul was not interested in following the will of anyone less than holy God. And I love that in him. That is such an important drive. I want to teach that to my kids, my nephews, my nieces, anybody I can. I want to share it with you. 
owe to stay on mission. That's my drive. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for your presence among us. The fellowship of your spirit. The uniting blood of Jesus Christ that gives a definition and an understanding and a kingdom relationship we would never share otherwise. Draw us deeper into that fellowship with each other, Lord, in your spirit. Would you give those people who are hurting support, those people who are needing provision, those people who are lonely company, those people who are hungry food? And then would you take those who have those resources in your name, And give them the wisdom and the vision to see where you want those resources deployed. And those who have time to show love, find the places to show your love. Time to show provision, find the places to show your provision. Time to show encouragement, opportunities to show encouragement. Bless us, Lord, as we grow before you in the name of our Lord Jesus, to whom we owe everything good in our lives. Amen.